You are listening to Haftorah, the Shir series, which explores the connections between the Parsha Shavuot and its corresponding Haftorah. And here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Truma, and it is also the beginning of what I want to refer to as the Mishkan series. And that is not only because within the Torah, in the Kriyasa Torah, the Parsha Shavuot, we find what is undoubtedly a series of Mishkan Parshios, from Truma all the way to the end of Sefer Shmos, because right, we have Truma, Tetzaveh, Kisisa, Vayakel, Pikudeh, and the unifying theme of all of those five parshios happens to be the Mishkan. And even though there are a couple of subjects, a couple of topics, at least within Parshas Kisisa, for example, that seem to tend to other Inyanim, I would actually argue that really all of it revolves around the Mishkan. And of course, um, you would have to look further into the parshios to see exactly how it is. But I believe that there is also a Mishkan series within the Haftaras. Now, it's not perhaps as fluid as the Mishkan series is in the Parsha Sashivua, but what I have observed is that within the next five weeks, three of the Haftaras, at least when we, when we follow the line of the Parsha Sashivua, right, the regular Haftaras, this is not counting the Haftarah series for the Dalad Parshas, the Arba Parshas, which we started last week with Parshas Shkalim, but the regular Haftarahs for the Parshas HaShavua. So if you follow them through, you'll notice a series, at least in three out of the five Parshios. So that is to say that in Parshas Truma, Vayakel, and Pekude, there was one story that is being discussed. It begins in the Haftarah for Truma, it continues into the Haftarah for Vayakel and for the Haftarah for Pakude. So yes, there is a hiatus within this new series. Right? So the Haftarah for Tetzaveh and the Haftarah for Kisisa does not conform to this new series. And we can discuss when those weeks appear, why that is. But... If you will humor what I'm suggesting now, there is a Mishkan series even within the Haftaros. And what we have to then determine as we go through this series is the answer to a question that is a famous question that is asked anyway with regards to the Parshas of the Mishkan, and that has to do with the repetition of of of, of the Parshas themselves. All of the topics the crafts pertaining to the Mishkan. Why does the Chumash have to say it so many times? How many Parshas does the Mishkan really need? And I believe the answers to those questions can actually be found in the Mishkan series of Haftaras. I don't think you need to go to the Haftaras to see it necessarily. You could find it if you look close enough at the Parshas. But here at Haftarah, we always analyze the Haftarah and try to justify and defend the choice that was made within our Masora for each particular Haftarah choice. And when we get to Tetzaveh, which, by the way, next week is also going to be the Shabbos of Zachar, which will be one of the uh, one of the lanings for the Dal Parshios, so the Haftarah, just like we did last week for Mishpatim, where we did a double Haftarah. We did one for Mishpatim and one for Parsha Shkalim. We're going to have to do the same thing for Parsha Tetzaveh with Zachar. Um, but while, while, while we're considering that, when we get to the regular Haftarah for Tetzaveh, we'll have to explain why Tetzaveh doesn't conform to the same series, why Tetzaveh has a Haftarah that's unrelated to the Haftaras of Truma, Vayakil, and Pekude. And of course, we'll have the same question when it comes to the Haftarah for Parshas Kisisa. 
Um, so we will look at each one, um, each at its appropriate time. Right now we're going to focus on Truma and the Haftarah for Truma. So what exactly is this Mishkan series that begins in, in Parshas Truma and within the Haftarah for Truma? So the Haftarah for Truma can be found in Sefer Malachim Aleph. It's not the first time that we're opening Sefer Malachim Aleph. Um, I believe the last time that we saw it was Parshas Vayechi. Um, and there we spoke about David HaMelech's, one of his final speeches to Shlomo HaMelech. I believe it was his final speech. We also had a Haftar from Malachim Aleph, Hafer Parshas Chayi Sarah, where we spoke about the political battle between Shlomo HaMelech and Adon Yahu, who's going to take the throne. We spoke about the connections between that and Parshas Chayi Sarah. And we have visited recently Malachim Beis, right? Just last week for Parsha Shkalim, we saw Malachim Beis. We also saw Malachim Beis for Parsha's Vayera. So it's not, uh, not, not the first, and I'll tell you now, not the last time that we're going to be looking at Malachim Aleph. But this Haftarah comes from Malachim Aleph, and it begins with Perak Hay Pasuk Chavav 526, and it goes all the way to Vav Yud Gimel. And now Vav Yud Gimel doesn't sound so significant when you say it like that, but when you say 613, it's like, ooh. But yes, the Haftarah for Parshas Truma goes from 526 to 613. Hey Chavav to Vav Yud Gimel. Now let's take a look at this series. So before we do, actually, let's just dedicate this sheer, really Nishmas, my mother, Chayrach Abbas David Tzvi, Harini Kaparis Meshkavar, Hanisham Aliyah, and while we are here, earlier today was the art site of my paternal um, grandfather, so my maternal grandfather, and that is David Suvin Yosef Yochanan, um, and so his Neshama Shavin Aliyah as well. And if you're following the Real Talk Torah series, we spoke about the halakhically complicated yard site of my paternal grandmother. So when exactly that was, or when it will be, actually, not so clear. Um, but we'll dedicate this shir the Linish Masa as well. So that's Hanafredel Bas Avram, her Neshama should have an Aliyah. Um, now, for, for more on the halacha complications of that yard site, you can go back to the Real Talk Torah series. But let's, let's go back to our Mishkan series here in Half Torah. So, Parshas Trim once again begins what we decided to refer to as the Mishkan series. And we already mentioned why that is. From Truma to the end of Shemot, the Torah devotes practically all of its time and space to drawing out the blueprints and describing the construction of the Mishkan, the dwelling place for Hashem's presence. And the issue that we raised, the commonly raised issue with regards to the Mishkan series is the verbosity and redundancy. So, yes, there are a lot of details, intricate details that are taught multiple times, making the parashios all the more difficult to follow. And... The challenge of the Mishkan Parshios is to identify what new themes or ideas each Sidra in the Mishkan series is adding to the previous ones. And if they're not adding anything new, then obviously they're literally just taking up space, and we don't believe that that's actually the case. That may be how it seems. What we have to then say is, okay, what is Truma about? What is Tetzav about? What is Kasisa, Vayaka, and Bakudia? What are each one about? And as I mentioned earlier, luckily, for our purposes, the Mishkan series is reflected in the Haftaris as well. Yes, we'll have to address Tetzava and Kisisa. The fact that those Haftaros are not even from the same Sefer as the other three will tell us a little bit 
what those parshios do differently than the parshios of the Mishkan. But for the next few sidras, we do have the group of Haftaras taken from Malachim Aleph. So uh, once again, it's Truma Vayakim Bekudai. They each are Haftarah taken from the section of Malachim Aleph. And it's quite an apropos section of Navi because that section deals with none other than the building, the construction of the very first base Amigdash of Shlomo HaMelech. And of course, the Mishkan was really only just the original portable version of the Beis HaMikdash. Hashem tells us in Parshish Trimavi, Asuli Mikdash V'Shechanti V'Socham. So whatever you're going to say that the Mishkan will likely apply to the Beis HaMikdash. So it's, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better reading for Parshish Truma or any of the Mishkan Parshios um, than something pertaining to the Beis HaMikdash, because of course, for most of Navi, there was no Mishkan. There was the Mishkan of Shiloh, which... Um, you could argue maybe we would have had a Haftarah from somewhere in Shmuel, for example, um, when the Mishkan existed in Shiloh. But there aren't really any pieces of Navi that are dedicated so um, closely to it. So if we have um, a passage in Tanakh, in Navi, that's, um, that, that's all about the Beis HaMikdash, that would be the best option. And that's what we find here. But of course, there are different stages of that process just like there are different stages of the Mishkan. So if we follow Truma, Vayakam, Bikude, and the particular readings pertaining to the Beis Migdash that we complement the Parshios with and uh, you know, in the Haftaros, so we might be able to pinpoint the unique stages of the Mishkan series uh, as it pertains to the actual Parshios. You could answer that question we've been wondering, uh, um, that which is, what are the actual Parshios about? So with that, Parshish Truma marks the stage, um, I would say the early stage, the stage one of the Mishkan series. And the question then is what exactly we need to know for stage one. Stage one needs to be the foundation of the Mishkan. So what is the first thing that we need to know about that? So let's take a look at the Avtar from Malachim Aleph. In the very first of the Navi's Mikdash series, so the Haftarah basically begins the Mikdash series by telling us that Shlomo HaMelech ordered a tax collection for the cause, which almost directly parallels the beginning of Parsha's Truma when Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to collect a Truma, literally an uplifted portion from the people. Now, you can certainly contrast the tax, the mas collection from the Truma, which is a, a different kind of a collection, it's a donation of sorts, um, so, yes, they're not completely parallel, but they are parallel enough, at least for our purposes. And as the Haftarah continues into the, into the sixth parak of Malach Malaf, the Navi proceeds to outline the blueprints of the Mikdash, as we would expect. So, fine. The stage one first tells us that for a Mishkan or for a Mikdash, we need money and we need the blueprints all of which are also highlighted in Parsha Struma. So we're off to a very good start, right? We, 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 you know, we, we need the money, we need the materials, we need everything that, that we, you know, we need the supplies, and we need the plans. But before it actually gets to the blueprints of the Mikdash, the Navi interestingly informs us that this construction took place in the, 400th, uh, the 480th year since the Bnei Israel had gone forth from its Zion. We find that in the in the in, in Paragvav Pasagalif. So the first question we might ask is why, as interesting a fact as this may be, 
do we need this on record? This is the 480th year. Who's counting anyway? And what does this project have to do with the Exodus, which took place generations earlier? Now, before we can answer that question, I believe we have to first address a more fundamental question. And that is, what is the actual purpose of the Mishkan? Right, this is a question that we've addressed in the Parsha Panorama series and in the Muslim Minutes series, and you can go back to the archives to listen to that. In fact, um, we uh, posted them on the Database Podcast WhatsApp group. Um, we have um, all the reruns can be found there, the links to all of those shirim. If you want to be a part of the Database Podcast WhatsApp group to see um, all the reruns and to be able to find them easily, or if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or if you want to partner with, with a sponsorship, and then for any of the above, you, all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. This is the data than base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. But once again, what is the purpose of a Mishkan? Like, what's the point of it? And the question I want to say is a very pressing one because at first glance, the Mishkan project is a very strange one. For some odd reason, we are being commanded to make financial contributions and provide costly materials to build a physical building, a house, in which the unlimited and infinite, omnipotent, omnipresent God is supposedly going to live there. Now, if God himself didn't command such a thing, we think that this was some kind of political, governmental scam. And God doesn't need a house to live in. He doesn't have a body. We say that in Yigdal. Now, didn't we make fun of a generation that tried to build a tower to fight the intangible God. So, yet now, we are paying loads of money to build that same intangible God a physical house. And even if we accept the fact that we're doing the right thing by building the house for God, there's a lot of money going into this project. Gold, silver, etc. Perhaps much more than an unlimited and intangible God should require. Right? If, 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 if God wanted, he could have said, just make me a little box, a very little box, maybe the size of the Arana Kodesh itself, maybe even smaller. Right? If, if we're assuming, you know, by some way of, you know, Kabbalistic tzimtzum that Hashem is going to constrict himself and create a place for his presence, it doesn't have to be big, it could be little, if Hashem wants it to be. Why does it have to be so expensive and so big? So, as far as the purpose of the Mishkan and the Mikdash is concerned, our assumption has been all along that the point of this house is for Hashem to dwell in it. However, if you look closely, the Torah spells out the goal for us slightly differently. In Sefer Shmos, Parachafei, Pasuk Ches, V'yasuli Mikdash V'shachanti B'socham. You shall build me a temple, a holy house, and I will dwell in them. Now, it sounds the same, right? Hashem's going to live there, but there is a subtle difference. Now, you're probably thinking of the famous observation of the Alshech, that the Torah does not say, V'shechanti b'socha, and I will dwell in it, but rather, V'shechanti b'socham, and I will dwell in them. And the Alshech teaches us that lesson, that the Bnei Israel themselves need to make themselves into holy sanctuaries, as it were, so that Hashem could dwell inside each and every one of them individually. And this is also the basis of the famous song from the Sefer Charedim, Belvavi Mishkan Evne. I'm going to build a Mishkan within my own heart. 
And the idea is definitely a beautiful one. And it's 100% true. But we actually don't even need to go that far into that drash of our Pasuk to understand the simplest reading of the verse and see what it contributes in a different regard. Right? Literally means that God would dwell not specifically in the Mishkan, but among the Bisoch, among the Bnei Israel, among them, Bisocham. Meaning Hashem would dwell in their midst. So Bisocham therefore means among them. In other words, this project is not about stuffing an oversized God into a little dollhouse, but it's about Hashem's otherwise intangible presence becoming present among the Bnei Israel. If it's not clear enough from the verse in our Sidra, our Avtara says it even more specifically. And it's in the very last Pasuk in 613. And I will dwell among the Bnei Israel. And the point is that we are physically toiling toward a goal to allow God into our midst. Not necessarily by literally making room for him, making an apartment for him. That's not actually possible. But by uplifting our physical selves and our physical assets to create a pure haven where we can stand and where God will allow himself to be contacted even in the physical world. Again, it's not because Hashem wouldn't fit otherwise, but because there would otherwise be no physical body or location in the world pure enough and spiritually dedicated and devoted enough for God to allow his spiritual presence to rest there. It's not for him, it's for us. Thus, the Mishkan process is an effort to demonstrate devotion and desire of physical beings to utilize physical materials, physical materials that we care about, to transcend and to enable themselves, we ourselves, to summon Hashem, as it were, to be with us in the physical world. The whole project is a novelty. The whole project breaks the rules of nature. It's a chiddush. But all of that explains why we need to spend money, time, and personal toil to build this large structure. It explains why we need blueprints and an actual tangible project and why it's an expensive one. God wants us to relate to him, not by being angels, but by uplifting our physical selves, by devoting our energy towards it, using what we already have, our money and raw materials, to serve him. Now, what does all this have to do with Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the Exodus? Why did the Navi need to tell us what year from the Exodus the building of the Mishkan, or the building of the Beis Mikdash in this case, took place? Now, the answer to this question is essential, not just for our understanding of the Mishkan series itself, but the role of the Mishkan series in terms of its impact on the larger story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Moreover, it's essential for our understanding of our goals as a nation yearning for a new redemption from our current exile, yearning for a Beis HaMikdash, which we dive in for every day. Why do we need to know exactly when the Beis HaMikdash was built in relation to the Exodus? Perhaps for the same reason that the Mishkan series was placed in Sefer Shemos altogether. The Rambam famously points out that Sefer Shemos is known appropriately by Chazal as Sefer Agula. That's how the Rambam refers to it, Book of Redemption. And the Rambam says that this Geula would be incomplete without every last detail of the Mishkan series. Because redemption did not by any means end with the physical exodus from Egypt. 
It actually ended with our spiritual liberation when we were able to not only purify ourselves so that we could receive the Torah, but when we could elevate our physical selves and build not just the building, but a reality in which a spiritual God would allow himself to dwell among us. To, as the Ramban explains, recapture Hashem's presence as it existed at Harsinai and to take it with us always. Yes, the Geula would be complete, but it would only be short-lived and eventually lost in the mess we've created throughout our history, from the Egel Azov, the Golden Calf, and the Chedem Maraglim, to the worship of Baal Pa'or, to generations of Avodah Zarah in the times of the Shoftim and Malachim. Thus, our Haftarah tells us that through the building of the first Beis HaMikdash, we revisited our Geula, our exodus from Egypt, our Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and even if it would be 480 years later, we would see a hopefully, quote-unquote, permanent mikdash. We know it didn't actually last that long, but that was the goal. It's the Beis Olamin. It's the eternal house, and we hope to have it again. And thus, our Haftar says, I'm going to dwell among the Bnei Israel, and I will not abandon my nation. That as long as we allow him in our lives, Hashem will not abandon us again. As long as we continue to make ourselves, our physical selves on this physical world, a place for Hashem, as long as we don't chase him away, he's not going to abandon us. Aside from the raw materials and technical blueprints, we need to have this goal in mind throughout the process. The spiritual blueprint, which makes the Mishkan and Beis HaMikdash what it needs to be. Of course, we know that we've been through a Mishkan and two Batei Mikdash since our exodus. We haven't been able to maintain the lofty goal of creating a transcendent reality in the physical world forever. So the goal is every bit as much ours as it was theirs. It sounds challenging, but it really is a goal that is within our reach. Because again, we're not being asked to make ourselves into something that we are not, to become angels. We can't do that. What can we do? We can and must take our physical selves and apply the assets that we have towards the Vodas Hashem. We've done it before, and we can and will do it again, with Hashem's help, of course. But we have to want it. We have to apply ourselves to it. When we do, we will revisit our our exodus and our redemption once again, no matter how many years later. We will create a permanent dwelling for Hashem in this world, and Hashem will not leave us again. So we shall be zocha to make ourselves into fitting vessels for the Hashras HaShchina, the Divine Presence resting among us. And Hashem should dwell among us once again and never abandon us with the building of the third and final and permanent Beis HaMikdash, the days of Mashiach Meher Bimeinu. And as I wish you a great Shabbos and a wonderful Chodesh Adar, what I want us to also think about up until next time is if that's Truma, so yes, we will have a hiatus and we'll have another another double half Torah um, special for the Dalad Parshos of Parsha Zachar and for Parshas Tetzava. But after we pass through Tetzava and Kisisa, when we return to the Mishkan series, we're going to see the next parts of Malachim Aleph in Vayakil and Bakute. And what we will have to figure out then is what those pieces are adding to the puzzle of the Mishkan series. So you'll have to stay tuned for that. Um, and join us once again here at the database for the half Torah series, where we continue the Mishkan series. But until next time, have a wonderful rest of your week, a wonderful Chodesh Adar.
Thank you for joining us here at the database.